Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. Check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code UNDERMINE for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code UNDERMINE for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast. Osiris. Welcome to season four, episode 39 of Undermine, brought to you by Osiris Media. I'm Tom Marshall, your host, your guide, your time traveling show Sherpa, as we revisit and relive Fish's famous Fall 97 tour. That's the tour where Fish destroyed America, at least according to the marketing materials in advance and to the majority of the fan base after. We are diving into each show from that tour on the actual 25th anniversary of when it was played. And that's been our season. And joining me on this journey is my frequent co-host, fellow Undermine executive producer and New York Times bestselling author, Benji Eisen. If you're watching on YouTube, he's the other guy here with equally good looks. Hi, Benji. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, uh, Tommy, can you hear me? Oh, loud and clear. Uh, it was a who, uh, who reference. Who's on first? Uh, exactly. You know, we should have done that gag for Quadrophenia. Uh, but anyway, let's get right to this. Um, today's show happened today, 25 years ago, in Philadelphia, December 3rd, 1997. It was the band's fifth show at the venue. The fourth was just the night before, as you guys know from yesterday's episode. So we are talking about the second night of a two-night run and a Wednesday night at that. So we're just over half uh, halfway through the week and it's halfway through the tour. Now, Tom, since this was before the age of the pocket download where you could listen or, or even watch the show from your couch in real time, many fans uh, at each of these concerts were hearing the sounds of Fall 97 Fish for the very first time. Yeah, you've been you've been kind of mentioning that throughout this season. Yeah, well, that's because it's true. <laughs> and then <laughs> and then Live Fish came along and, and totally changed the game. You know, first by offering next day downloads and then streams. And now, of course, we have live webcasts of every show. That's why I no longer miss a note in real time. If, if Fish is playing a show and I'm not at the show, I'm on the couch. Watching football. Well, <laughs> dancing is the sport of choice, as they like to say over at Fantasy Tour. So um, I guess, my, you know, my point is that if I'm not inside the venue, then wherever I am, I'm streaming live on Live Fish. I've even done it on my phone before you know, at the beach. Well, you keep mentioning Live Fish, and it's funny you should say that because you know who's today, who, who the guest is today. But for those who don't, our guest today is Nugs.net and Live Fish founder and CEO, Brad Serling. So you can thank him for the upgrade. Should I bring him in from the waiting room, Benji? Uh, not so fast, Tom. <laughs> I mean, yes, but uh, first, whether you're on the couch or in your car, if you're enjoying listening to us talk fish with Tom Marshall, 
then please consider joining Osiris Premium so that we can keep this party going. Um, you'll get bonus episodes of Undermine and our sister podcast, HF Pod. You'll get ad-free episodes, access to the Under the Scales archives, meet and greets, AMAs, and even the chance to be in the hot seat on one of our shows. So check out osirispod.com backslash premium, or just click on the link in the show notes. It sure is a whole lot of bang for the buck. Um, check that out for sure. Are we ready now for Brad Serling? Almost, Tom. We'll get there, I promise. <laughs> you know, I know, I know that Brad can't wait to talk to us today because I've been texting him, uh, texting with him leading up to this, and he remembers Fall 97 as fondly as we do. You know, he uses the same quote-unquote earth-shattering and life-changing language that that we all use. But uh, but look, you know, we we all have a lot of memories of these Fall 97 shows, and so we want to hear from the listeners as well. So to the listeners. Uh, you know, we want to hear what you know, we want to hear your stories and, and we will, if you just simply make a one minute video clip, share your story, tell your tale, take us back to fall 97. And if you post the video on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, and you tag Osiris pod, you'll be automatically entered, uh, into our fun little game in which a random storyteller will get the handwritten lyrics to ghost care of the songs lyricist who also happens to be your host for the series. In fact, I'm looking at him right now. It's right. Tom Marshall. <laughs> Tom, have you uh, have you ever actually written down these lyrics before? I wrote them down once uh, for Trey. <laughs> um, okay, uh, Benji, I'm bringing in Brad Serling uh, from the waiting room. I think I should. Yeah, thank God. Please just do it already. <laughs> <laughs> well, Brad Serling um, is a friend of mine personally, and also a great friend of Osiris, having been on every fish podcast we've created. Um, and I want to say thanks for returning, Brad. Let's see if he pops in from the waiting room. And there he is. Hi, Brad. How are you doing? Hi, Brad. How's it going? We are doing great. And we are excited to uh, to talk about this show here at the Philly Spectrum. So you were here at the Philly Spectrum with me on this night, December 3rd, 1997. But give us a little context, a little background on what was going on in your life at that moment. And also uh, just to fill me in, because I, I I know I know this, but I don't remember. When was your first Fish show? So I first saw the band October 1st, 1990. And that was at The Haunt in Ithaca, New York. Because I was a freshman at Cornell. I was 17, still because nice. of a late birthday. And um, I had seen Six Nights of the Dead at the Garden in September. And so my first fish show was only 11 days after that. So that was a pretty strong way to start college and pretty much set the tone for the rest of my uh, <laughs> undergraduate education was seeing the Grateful Dead as often as possible, seeing fish when they were in town, because all my money was going to Grateful Dead to go on tour. So I could only see fish when they were around. And then uh, look at me now, all these years later, <laughs> where I made it my job, because I pretty much majored in it in college, <laughs> much to the dismay of my parents. <laughs> so, Brad, you you know, you know were a taper. Uh, and even recently, when we started talking about having you on the show, you sent me a photo of your, your dad's from this night. Um, I just found found them right after you asked me about them. <laughs> yeah. For for listeners that are streaming instead of watching, Brad did just hold up what I believe to be yes. the authentic <laughs> dats. <laughs> These are actual dats, and in fact, there's a the deck that I bought on eBay in, in anticipation of this podcast. None of my dat decks were working after I found this tape, so I was like, well. I probably need another deck anyway. So I went on eBay, found that nice Panasonic SV3700 that arrived last weekend and doesn't work. So I have <laughs> not been able to play these tapes. Um, but of course, there's many other places where I was able to find recordings. And like I was telling you guys earlier, I don't know why I never made CDs of these tapes. Back at that time, like by 98, 99, I started taking a lot of the dats I was making and started putting them on CD just so they were easier to listen to because dat decks can be finicky and a pain in the ass. I never transferred this show. So I don't know what that means in terms of how I felt about the show at the time versus the rest of the tour. You know, there was, I had gone to the Hampton shows. So Tom, to answer your other question, where I was at the time, I was living in New York City. I was living in the East Village, actually living in the building, Red Square, the same building where Bobby Sheehan was in the penthouse. Warren and Steph were in penthouse 
G, I think it was. I was on the eighth floor. Uh, Chris Barron lived there. Uh, uh-huh. The Superfly guys later lived there and, you know, ran Bonnaroo the first couple of years out of there. <laughs> Randomly, that's where I lived, 96 to 98 in the East Village in New York. So, you know, going to New York shows was easy. Spectrum was pretty easy. And I grew up in Philly. So going to see Fish at the Spectrum was very important to me because it was, you know, home hometown. And I have a lot of friends in Philly still. So I remember taking the train down, which was pretty simple. I mean, you could just get to Penn Station, go down, you know, make it down to the Spectrum, see the show and catch Amtrak back that night. So I'm pretty sure that's what I did this night. Because I I think I just came to the third. I didn't go to the the night before, and I only found tapes of this night, which leads me to believe I only went to that show. Nice, um, nice tickets. Nice. Long gone. I used to collect all the tickets and everything. Then once I started working for Fish, it just like I stopped. Yeah, I have a box full of shit somewhere, but <laughs> I couldn't go back to the ticket stubs. Um, but yeah, so I remember training down for that show. Uh, well, on this tour, you know, I, I, at the time in '97, I made it a point to befriend people like you. I made it a point to befriend befriend the tapers, so yeah. that I could get a good line into the first generation tapes within a week or two of the show, which back then was was considered lightning fast. This was before Live yeah. Fish uh, came along. So, you know, I always assumed that tapers like you had their own inner network. Uh, did you get tapes of this tour before the Philly run? I know you were at Hampton, but did you get well, tapes of any of the other shows? Yeah, I had, I taped Hampton myself and then I had friends who went on to Winston-Salem. Wasn't that right after? I can't remember yeah. the order of the tour, but yeah. yeah. So I think by the time I was at the Spectrum, I did have tapes of the other nights. I don't think I had every night, but I had... I, I did not send my deck on tour that night. By summer 98, my deck would go on tour even if I wasn't there. And I remember <laughs> picking up my deck at the Lemon Wheel and it had been on the whole tour. I'd only, I'd been to a bunch of the West Coast and some of it, but um, fall 97, I, I had some of it. And then I remember going, I think by the time I was at MSG, I had heard most nights at that point and everyone was raving around about the Nutter Center show, which I didn't go to, but um, you know, like I was saying at that time, it was actually pretty rare for me to travel for fish. Um, I did travel for Hampton. So that was kind of a big deal that I did a weekend just seeing fish, which I, I guess I had done the, yeah, the gorge that summer, I made a trip and living in New York, that was a pretty big trip to go to the gorge just for the weekend. That was probably the first big trip I made just to see fish. And mostly that was just because of money, not because of desire, you know, it was expensive to go out, you know, and I had a full-time job in New York city. So it was easy to see things around the city. Um, whereas grateful Dead, I was, I would always drop everything and go because it felt like a ticking time bomb, you know, like you didn't know how many more shows you're going to di- get, Whereas with fish, it's like, oh, they're going to be playing, you know, <laughs> to always be able to see fish. Another 40 years. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> who, would, who would have guessed back then? So you've, uh, conf- you've confirmed a rumor um, that uh, just by by talking, um, I think you've confirmed it here that the fastest way of getting tapes is actually record them yourself that night. Actually taping the show was, the, <laughs> and that is why I started taping. I mean, that's why I started taping with the dead in the summer of my first dead show was actually at the spectrum same place the show we're talking about was at. Yeah. that was nine eight eighty eight, and i you know did not tape didn't really know anything about taping but it, it took about a year and a half by summer 90 i started taping i bought my first tape deck which is actually sitting right here um actually got to use this tape deck i don't know if you guys went to the grateful dead meetup at the movies but we ran a uh we had a 60 second nugs net ad at the beginning of the the europe 72 show they played and we couldn't get the licensing in place to use actual Grateful Dead songs. So I pull, I had to pull out an audience tape because my dat decks weren't working. Like I said, I had to pull out the actual analog cassette deck, which, you know, for those of you at home, <laughs> this is what I brought on summer tour, 1990. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I taped from 90 to 92, including fish with this and, um, switched to dat by around like Vegas, 92 dead. I was already using dat, but still had cassettes sometime then phased out the cassette deck. Um, but yeah, so that on that, uh, Nugsnet ad, we had, uh, the 
audience clapping not fade away. That was the music that played in front of 500 theaters around the world last weekend, which was pretty exciting for me to hear my audience tape from 1990 being played theatrically. It's pretty well, funny. You know, you before know. we move on, I want to say, Brad, you know, I've always relied on the kindness of tapers. And yeah. so uh, especially back then. Now, of course, thanks to you, I don't need to rely on, on the tapers. I need to rely on your your businesses. Um, yeah. But uh, but yeah, I, I've always, you know, I, I, a big shout out to the tapers for letting all of us hear the music back in the day. Big shout out for sure. And also it's uh, sometimes it's easy to tell. Uh, I mean, when you hear Brad's passion, it's sort of easy to to extrapolate the career that you went into because you're clearly passionate about it. And, and it's fun to hear. Let's talk about this night. Um, the, yeah. the, the Philly shows uh, have a certain notoriety to them. I think Trey loved, you know, he, he was into the hockey team, into the Flyers. He'd seen the Flyers there several times. Um, what do you remember about the scene uh, on these nights? Well, the Spectrum was always a great scene. I mean, particularly for dead shows, um, which is, you know, when I literally got on the bus at the Spectrum, it was, uh, you know, I just saw the vibe of the crowd and it was the whole stereotypical thing of the band sings the line from truck and, you know, sometimes the lights all shine on me, you know, what a long, strange trip it's been. I remember the light lights coming up on that Spectrum crowd and I was like, oh my God, you know, and the whole scene in the parking lot was incredible so that was 88 fast forward to almost 10 years later this is december 97 you know almost 10 years after my first dead show at the spectrum um the scene was pretty much the same i mean <laughs> philly was known for the nitrous scene i don't know why i think it's just because you know the, the south philly mafia playing off the cops whatever it was always you know it was a very heavy nitrous scene always a, a great parking lot scene because there were great parking lots, there were there was a lot of like expansive parking lots that were official lots right around the spectrum. So it allowed for a great parking lot scene and people would get in there early. I came in the train from New York, so I don't think I, we were hanging out in the lot that particular day. But you have to walk through the lot from the subway station. So, you know, I remember it being crazy and hearing nitrous tanks everywhere and people selling shit. You know, it was a full-on shakedown street scene, you know, in the classic sense. That's what was happening that night for the fish show. Absolutely. That's how I remember it as well. And it's interesting you bring up the sprawling parking lots around because uh, I, I do remember that it was surrounded by parking lots and also there was the Holiday Inn that was adjacent to it and spilled yeah. over. The, the scene in Philadelphia was always very... The birds of a feather are really flocking outside uh, in in big numbers. But, you know, the spectrum itself, as I think, Tom, you were hinting at this, the, the building itself has a history to it that is almost as storied as Madison Square Garden is in its own right. You know, yeah. it was then home of the Philadelphia Flyers. Um, for me, it was a hometown venue as, as well as for you, Brad. So I saw, you know, Billy Joel there. I saw just a lot of the shows of my youth. Um, do you have any particular memories or hot takes on the venue itself or at the end of the, the, the day, was it just the geography and it's just, you know, a typical NHL hockey arena? Well, for me, it was the musical memories. I was never really a big sports fan while lots of my, you know, Philly is a really big sports town, you know, four great teams and great, great stadiums and arenas, including the spectrum. You know, I remember JFK, you know, which was legendary for Live Aid and all these crazy things. So Philly was always a great concert scene. And that's what I remember about the spectrum. Um, in fact, my partner in Nugsnet, John Richter, has two seats from the from that original spectrum, which they tore down. Pearl Jam was the last band to play there. They did this Halloween run. Then they tore it down in what was it, 09 or 07 or I forget exactly what year it was. But that was a sad moment when the, the building went down. And at this point in 97, they had already built the new Spectrum, which was across the street. And it was confusing. There were basically two Spectrums, but they had different names depending on what the branding was. But this fish show was at the real deal Spectrum, the original Spectrum. And I remember that I think it was the first concert of the new Spectrum happened to be Oasis. And I came down from New York in 96 <laughs> with a girl from my office and I was kicked out. <laughs> I was kicked <laughs> out of the Oasis show for dancing in the aisles with this girl. Wow. And it was funny, just the scene. That was the new Spectrum, fall of 96. And then back of the original Spectrum, December 97 with Fish. Nobody was getting kicked out for dancing in the aisles of the Fish show. But it was just a... So I always held the new Spectrum. was like, oh, that place sucks. I don't want to go there. You know, and then they tore down the real Spectrum. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you know, you triggered, yeah. a, you triggered a memory um, in the, at the Man Music Center right after they tore down the Spectrum. Someone, and, and I... 
I imagine he was involved with uh, possibly Live Nation or whoever owned the the Spectrum because he had like it, it was sitting kind of in the lot near the trucks a big letter from from the spectrum and i remember trey signed it and he wanted me to sign it and i i, I didn't want to defile it and he's like yep i want you to and we all signed it. i wonder who has that right now well, and that any ideas mean, what ask like the yeah, yeah sign it's the amazing because the, those guys reached out to me actually when we were doing a billy and the kids show at the ardmore and they wanted bill treitzman to sign it and they had uh and, and and they they didn't get him to sign it but they wanted him to and they had a number of other uh, people and they mentioned that the, all, all the guys from Fish signed it. Okay. Um, it. It has its own, I think, and you guys can, you know, fat check me on this. I think it has its own internet presence now. Where where is uh, it? Uh, I I don't know. I mean, we we can find out. I, I think, like I said, I think it may have its own we can, we can Instagram Google. account <laughs> or or something. But yeah. you know, when I think of the spectrum, I think of all the being a teenager. In, in there and looking at the cloud of smoke that was in the middle. There was just this was cloud of smoke. It yeah. was very, very fan-friendly security. But it, putting the spectrum aside, Philly was always just a great fish scene and yeah. a great place to see fish. No question. You know, I particularly, my, my fondest Philly fish memory is probably the Keswick 92. The Keswick Theater, literally down the street from my high school, Cheltenham High School. So that was a hoot just to see fish there. <laughs> and what was funny was, you know, by then it was 92. So I was, I guess, a sophomore. No, I must've been a junior. It was fall of my, of my junior year, I think it was. And I remember going there and seeing girls from my high school who were still in high school, but were like <laughs> freshmen when I was there. And all of a sudden they're into fish. So that was funny to see like this, the coming of age of like the younger that, and by younger, I mean like two years younger, but still when you're 17 or 18, that seems like a, a lot, you know, a bigger difference. So that was funny seeing fish there it was, and a great vibe at the Keswick, which happened to be the show, the first show that John Langenstein worked for Fish, mm. and he kicked Fishman out of the show. <laughs> so I remember th that was funny. He didn't let him in the stage door. He thought he was some wacko in a dress. And he's like, no, I'm the drummer in the band. <laughs> so, that happened to be a Langenstein, longtime security, head of security with Fish. Uh, I remember that. I remember the man shows when they were opening for Santana. And then the next year, the 93 man show, one of my favorite shows was like an early 2001 if not the first 2001 i can't recall and uh um there was like the yush shell zahad and just a great 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 show so so many great fish shows in philly so i was which is why i went down to this one that's on a great that's a great tribute to the band fish too because most um most bands would fire uh the security guy that, that kicked the drummer out and that was fish, the first night he worked for fish and, and then fish later instead ended up like no 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 you did you did a really <laughs> good job you I, well they love that yeah that's why they brought him back they come out every night <laughs> you should be kicked uh, um, so let's let's finally uh lots of good memories uh you know all of us were there which is cool let's dive into the music um yep. the first set has some serious highlights uh and you know it opens with punch you in the eye which is always a highlight for me i prefer it outdoors but it's still like probably my favorite opener um then my soul and then drowned and we can stop here to talk a little bit about that drowned yeah, actually tom uh let's stop here before we talk about that drowned okay. let's hear a quick word from our sponsors and then when we come back we can talk about the one thing that we haven't really mentioned yet, and that's <laughs> music from this night. <laughs> so we'll be right back. Hey, listeners, I want to tell you about one of our great partners, DistroKid. DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and artists keeping 100% of their royalties and earnings. If you're a musician and looking to get your music out there, DistroKid is the way to go. DistroKid is available for iOS and Android and is now available in Apple's App Store and the Google Play Store. More than a million artists rely on DistroKid to get their music onto Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all other major streaming services. And with DistroKid, you can upload new releases, see your financial progress, get notified when you've earned royalties, withdraw money from the app, view and share links, check your streaming stats, and a whole lot more. DistroKid has more features than any other music distributor. Check them out today. Go to distrokid.com, that's distrokid with a capital K, dot com slash VIP slash undermine for a special offer only for our listeners. That's distrokid, capital K, dot com slash VIP slash undermine. Thanks, DistroKid. 
Hey, what's up? My name's Lurk, and I'm the host of Lamgoat's Van Flip Podcast. Every week, I have in-depth conversations with bands from all over the scene, big and small. We also like to keep our finger on the pulse and showcase up-and-coming bands on the show as well. So come check out Lamgoat's Van Flip Podcast. And we are back with our guest, Brad Serling. And as promised, it's time to talk about that drowned. Brad, how do you remember it? Well, I remember it went on for a while. <laughs> so I remember because I, I had, uh, it was one of my friend's first fish show and he had shared an office with me for maybe three years at that point. So he'd heard a lot of fish. So brought him down from New York for the show. And I remember him turning to, and he knew Drown because he's a big fan of the Who. He didn't know it in the fish context, like a lot of fish fans really only knew it from the Halloween 95 show. Um, so he was like, oh my God, they played this song. And then, but the, the who never played it like this. So that's <laughs> how I remember the drown was through the, through the ears of a friend who was a big, you know, classic rock guy, but didn't necessarily know fish. And he loved the direction that it went in. And I remember it, it was very different from, I think, you know, I, the drown that I always think back to is the new year's 95 drown. That was just like, you know, yeah. a game changer. This one was totally different, you know, and it was very much like this is what fall 97 sounded like was that drowned. I mean, I'd say the same as like the the goofiness going on in the David Bowie later in the show and certainly the jam after Possum that typifies fall 97. So, um, you know, at the time it didn't feel, you know, it felt like, oh, this is what they're doing these days, you know, especially coming out of the Hampton shows where things went, you know, you think of that hood or the stuff happening at that, or the ACDC bag stuff of that Hampton shows, what, you know, it kind of changed my view on how the band was playing. And it was even a noticeable difference from the summer, um, you know, summer 97 seemed like it was this transition into something we didn't know quite what, but then by, by the time we got into the fall and certainly by the time you got to MSG, it was like, Oh, okay. This is where this band is going now. And then 98 was really the, you know, like stretching the rubber band of what they were doing the fall 97. Yeah. I, I think you nailed it. Uh, that drown definitely it's uh, you know, I, th I like you, I think of the 1231 drowned when, when anyone says the word drown, that's the first one that comes to mind. I also and think of the Ventura 98 is the other one. I yes, think of. absolutely. And mm -hmm. this one was, hands down, uh, uh, has the fingerprints of Fall 97 <laughs> all over it. Uh, there's also a Couldn't Stand the Weather tease by Stevie Ray Vaughan, which I didn't know at the time because I didn't know that song. I didn't remember that at all until I looked back at the notes and listened back to it. Um, I did remember things like the Take Me Out to the Ball Game and the Simpsons stuff. I remember that from the boat. Like, I remember, I remember where I sat, which was kind of like, it was page side, but a little bit behind. So I remember looking down and you know, what all the goofiness was going on during the Bowie. Yeah. You know, I have well, memories of that being in the room. Um, but yeah, I didn't remember that tease in the ground. Right before we get to that Bowie, which we definitely have to get to. Um, but before we move on to talk about the headline, which is set to Brad, were there any other first set highlights that we should be aware of? Uh, I mean, the 2001, you know, yeah. certainly was everything you would hope that a fall 97. To, but again, at the time we look back on it now, it seems so special at the time that was just, how fish played you know it wasn't like right hampton was a oh my god moment but the the rest of the tour from what i remember going to and went listening back to the tapes was like oh this is how they play now and i don't mean to diminish the quality or be reductive of what they're doing but it was like oh this is fish yeah it was like now you listen back to it, it's like oh this is so crazy each week you could drop into any one of these songs and it'd be amazing but at the time it was this was day in day out fish you know, then you get to some highlights like Nutter Center or some of these other shows or the Auburn show where you're just like, oh, yeah, where, where did that go or how did that happen? But for the Spectrum show, it's like, oh, this is just fish today. This is just fish. Yeah. And so we've we've talked about it a lot. You mentioned a couple of the, you know, the funny stuff happening in it. Um, second set opens with David Bowie. Uh, and 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 that was clearly a highlight of of, of the whole show. Yeah. And my, my buddy who I met, his name's Bill. And so I remember Bill saying he had to whip out his trail map during the Bowie. <laughs> it's like, what, what was, you know, and he had heard the song before and he always thought it was, you know, kind of funny and goofy. Yeah, they, you know, again, think of it from a non-Fish fans perspective, yeah. but it was a deep, well-schooled in classic rock. He just thought it was hysterical that they had this really long, highly orchestrated song that just the only lyrics are the words, the name David Bowie. He thought that was a riot. So when he actually saw it live for the first time, 
And it took like five minutes to get into the actual Bowie. So for the first five minutes, you're like, what is, is happening? Maze, or yeah. is it going to be, you know, yeah. <laughs> it was like flip the coin. Is it Maze or Bowie? Or, you know. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I do remember that. Interestingly, when I went and looked at my tapes and then look at Fishnet, I had it labeled as, uh, if we jump up to the possum, I wrote Black Eyed Katie on my tape. Now, at ah. the time, that was new, and it was basically what it was, Moment Dance, right? Moment Dance with the lyrics. Right. But we didn't know that at the time. So I think I was just, anything that had that kind of cow funk, you uh, know, heavy on the wah, it was like, oh, that must be Black Eyed Katie. So that's why I had it on my tapes. And it wasn't until just now before the show here that I'm like, oh, that's just being called a jam in the general parlance now. But I guess- the tale of the possum. Well, yeah, that, it's uh, it's not Black Eyed Katie, but it is yeah, that uh, style of. <laughs> that's really interesting, and I, I want to talk about that jam in just one second. First, I want to just say, going back to the David Bowie, that you know, I remember saying this back in 1.0 to my friends, but Fish just loves to play epic David Bowies in Philadelphia. You have Sid's twenty four ninety five at the Man. Oh, that's Jones Beach. Yeah, the Man. Yeah, and Jones <laughs> Beach. But there's cert there's certain places that that where Fish loves to pair certain songs. And yeah. Philadelphia, for some reason, they always bring out these amazing, amazing David Bowies. And it just, it seems to, you know, really pair well. And Bowie always seems to kind of show off in Philadelphia. It was but, like the and, Grateful Dead and Shakedown Street. There yeah. will always be a great Shakedown Street at the Spectrum. That's it's, right. You know, just Broad that, Street was just conducive to. <laughs> that's absolutely right. So nice. then, so then there's this possum and then there's a track that is just labeled as jam, as as we were just talking about. You labeled it as Black Eyed Katie. Yeah. Um, tell us about the jam. It's definitely a very, you know, 100% fall 97 jam. But also, Brad, maybe you can give us some insight as to why Fish sometimes decides to officially label a jam out of some song with its own title. Usually yeah. just jam or sometimes there'll be the name of the city. Well, in that, well, there's a couple of different things there. In this case, I wonder if we, if we officially released this show, I wonder what Kevin would decide to call that. Maybe it would just be jam, but back in the day, like going back 20 years when we started Live Fish as a business, the the idea with the naming, particularly what comes to mind is that when what was it BB King sat in at uh at, at in the Meadowlands, yeah. um we had to split up all these tracks and name things jam East Rutherford Jam One, Jam Two. The reason was because of the mechanical licenses, which is you know, you've got the performance and the mechanical. That's how a commercial recording works. The artist is giving us the right, or artist, you know, Fish owns Live Fish. So the artist says, yes, you can release this performance, but then you have to pay the mechanical license. And now in a streaming world, you also have to pay a performer. That's a whole other world. But back then it was just a download. And this, I don't think we were even doing CDs back then. We had to label things as these jams because we couldn't get a license for something that wasn't, it, particularly if it was a cover song and if it went over five minutes, the rate for the mechanical license would be higher incrementally. So the, you know, the wisdom at the time, and this was coming from, you know, the band's lawyers and business managers, um, as well as our experience just doing licensing was, well, let's just call it a jam and split the track at that point. If it was actually a jam, we, you know, we couldn't cut it short if it was still part of whatever, you know, let's say it was drowned, um, you know, you wouldn't cut it off in the middle of drown, but at a point that was clearly improvisation in the moment, that would be marked as a jam. And that's why the track marker would go there. And there was, there would be a lot of debates. I remember during some of those early shows when back when we started live fish, I was doing the recording and I would sit there with Kevin Shapiro in a hotel after the show and we would debate where we should, yeah, he, he was the ultimate arbiter because yeah, you know, he's the band's archivist and the most trusted, you know, so really whatever he said went, but, um, you know, a lot of that happened because Kevin had to answer to the business side saying, you know, well, let's call this a jam at this point. Oh, my light's going up because, uh, um, you know, because of the licensing, that's how it worked. Well, and, and this one is kind of different because this was never released uh, officially. And I, it seems like when you listen to it, you can hear that they kind of really do end possum and then they just, keep playing though and it goes right into this funk you know jam that then eventually dissolves and into prince Gaspard. and it has the start stop like yeah. the you know the kind of the james brown style start stop i i remember fish telling a story one time about the 
James Brown Live in Paris album, I think it is, maybe it was 1970 or something like that, that they would listen to that over and over again. <laughs> when they, I think it was when they were on the Europe tour in 97, they were listening to that nonstop. And that's what got them into that whole start-stop thing, which is what that jam is all about. And again, it is very similar to what Black Eyed Katie was back then. So I can see why I labeled it Black Eyed Katie, but now listening back, that's a different, it's just a jam. <laughs> yeah, it's just a funk jam. So, you know, it'd be interesting. Send a note to Kevin and say, hey, what would you call this if we actually released it? Curious what he would think. I still Maybe like, it would just be jam. I like Taylor the Possum. But uh, yeah, it, it, <laughs> um, uh, that's really kind of, the, that's good insight. Uh, of course, uh, from your perspective, we get to hear sort of the business reasoning behind some of these naming conventions. And I've never been, uh, I've never envied uh, all the set list people that have to figure out, is that a segue? Is that a this? What's this jam? That's, that's pretty interesting how there's yeah, actually like a business reason behind it. too. It's been hard in a lot of recent shows, there's been full on mashups where Trey's like singing the lines from one song yeah. over another song. And it's what it's not a not a big deal when they're all who is she, you know, they're all owned by fish uh, when they're cover songs or it's a line from a cover song being sung over the music of a fish original composition. That's pretty complicated. So we have to use the. <laughs> star star you know contains elements of that's the legalese like the proper way to to accredit it <laughs> it's not a separate license per se you know um and in a streaming we're at once we launched live fish the streaming service live fish plus which was back in 2014 then we really eased up on the splitting of the songs because it got really annoying it was one thing on cds or or you know certainly as downloads because our feeling was with downloads fans could do whatever they want but when it's permanently in the cloud and on demand it was really annoying to have all these splits and jams so my feeling was always let's let's stop that unless we absolutely have to it's just drowned for 22 minutes or whatever it is and let's not split it up into um but i think that was also because by that point it was easier to license these things you know beth god bless her had done all this crazy work to establish all these licenses so by the time we're in recent years of live fish, we already had a great track record of fish really being a significant source of revenue for these different music publishers. So, you know, they were, they were not as, you know, it wasn't as difficult to get to secure a license. Let's put it right, that way. Right. I can see the uh, opportunity like for a publisher or, or for a lawyer to sort of like when Trey does something complicated, like, you know, sing music from another band on top of a fish jam. I can see them just like popping champagne, like, yay, here we got a complicated thing that we have to, we have to solve. Um, uh, there's, yeah. there's definitely been a lot of times that I remember <laughs> going into the production office and sitting with Micah, who's doing the, who's on the road with fish typically and doing the edits and like, so what are we going to do with this one? <laughs> like, how are we? And, you know, sometimes we have to pull Jason and Patrick. Usually it's Patrick because he's, you know, going back and forth with Trey of how, because the last thing we want is to post it, have Trey look at the app when he's in the car back to the hotel and be like, what the, that's not what I want. You know, then he calls Patrick, Patrick calls Mike, you know, it's like a whole. Do you have a specific recent one? Um, I know more so with it, with Trey band there were some well, those more because there were new songs there was oh. there were some recent ones but with fish i can't remember when we actually had to repost the way <laughs> I, i'm thinking of that uh the dicks show when like the encore was really long and spelled out whatever i can't remember what it was not the fuck your face but it was thank you yeah thank you that's what yeah it was like we had something not the way trey intended it to be <laughs> in terms of how we titled it and so we had to reach it. <laughs> but there is that. So in case anyone's wondering, as far as I can tell, the first thing Trey does when he gets in the car is fire up the live fish app and listen to the show that just happened. And so he's always all over how we've labeled the songs if it's not something that he thought it should be. You Especially if it's a new composition, that's a whole other story. But like you, if you it's should, classic yeah. fish <laughs> and like we've labeled it one way and he yeah. wanted another we change it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, the, a big, a, he's the a, boss. A big hint would have been that you, it spelled out Thark you, you should have known. Something <laughs> <as well. laughs> right. yes. um, so, uh, all right, give it, tell us, we, we always make our guests do this. How does this night stack up against, uh, well, since this is a two night run, the first night in Philly, and then also uh, the tour at large. So I don't remember the first night in Philly and I'm, I'm pretty sure I wasn't that. Cause I think I just came in for this night back and forth and I, couldn't find a tape of it so leads me to believe i didn't tape it um 
for me though, in terms of the whole tour, Hampton just overshadows everything. I mean, there's just no, and again, I didn't go to Nutter Center, but I had that tape. Like most people when it started, the soundboard being was widely traded shortly thereafter, which rarely happens. Yeah. Um, so the Nutter Center was standing out just, you know, in general, but Hampton just loomed so large over, I mean, really over 30 plus years of seeing fish, Hampton still looms that large. Um, maybe some of my favorite shows, it's hard to say, you know, because you got New Year's 95 and things like Lemon Wheels. Yeah. I don't know that it's my favorite, favorite show, but those were like, you know, I, I put Hampton at least up there with Island Tour, which came shortly thereafter. And so this Spectrum show sits pretty much in between Hampton. It was like, was maybe this was halfway through 14 shows into the tour or whatever it is. So you already had this whole momentum happening. And then you have the MSG run that was just like, I mean, that 1230 show. Outrageous. uh, You know, so where this one ranks, I don't think it does rank. And I don't mean at all to say that's bad. It's just like you had so many other massive shows. So, you know, on either side of it. And then you had the Island tour six months later, you know, four months later. So, you know, like I was saying, the fact that I never transferred it to CD just in my own listening made me think, well, one reason that's why I don't remember it much, but also I just had so much other shit to listen to from that tour. It's a really tall mountain in the Himalayas that no one notices because it's not Everest. Yeah, that's, right. that's, exactly. Exactly right, Tom. that's exactly right. Because, you know, that speaks to this tour, because as we're going through this tour, there's a lot of that Salt Lake City is another one that comes to mind, where when you go back and you listen to it, it's a phenomenal show. But at the time, partially because of, of the way tape trading worked at the time, everyone wanted right. Hampton immediately. Everyone wanted Nutter Center well, immediately. And these kind of got, you know, lost in the shuffle. But but what made Fall 97 such a legendary tour is there's not really a bad night to be found. Yeah, it's like May 77 Fish. Like everyone knows yeah. the Cornell show because it was a widely traded tape. But listen to the next night. <laughs> the <laughs> Buffalo right. show, I think, is a yeah. way better show. But also you say two nights before it was, you know. So yeah. that that's where I would put the spectrum show. Yes. If you took it on its own and you had no knowledge of other Fall 97, you would think this is one of the greatest things the band has ever done. And it and, is because on any given night they were doing this. And that's kind of what I mean by oh, this is just what fish is today. That's what it felt like back then. And I remember that at the time, coming back to New York, listening to the tapes, but I was still spending so much time trying to digest what had happened in Hampton that I kind of ignored this show moving forward. And then you had the... Couple of weeks later, you had MSG. So, yeah. That uh, Grateful Dead 577, you know, May 77 analogy rings really true. It's it's the same thing because you can't find a bad show there, and of course, lots get uh, a lot gets lost in the shuffle. Brad, before we let you go, we're running a little bit over time, but I wanted to get your thoughts quickly on something else entirely, uh, which is Taboose, the Trey. Uh, and well, the, the the reason by the time this episode airs, the tour will be in the rearview mirror. But yeah. at the moment, as we're recording this, we're in mid-tour, and obviously you're involved with it via the Live Fish webcast, including including for first hosting all of Deuce's sets on the Live Fish webcast. And then, yeah. of course, those sets are available later for audio streaming on the Nods app, uh, while, Fish, while Trey's, of course, is on the Live Fish app. Um, yep. It's also the first time, I think this is true. Uh, no, I know this is true. It's the, it's the first time that an entire trade tour has been live streamed apart from the Beacon Jams. Um, so yep. how's that going? And just can you give us your impressions of the tour? Well, I thought we were going to spend this whole podcast talking about last night's Redbird. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, apparently you wanted to talk about fish. Um, the, uh, I mean, well, it's just, it is a lot of firsts. The first time that I know of that Trey has consistently sat in with an opening act of any, you know, whether it's fish, Trey, Trey band, whatever. I can't think of any other time that something like this has happened. Um, I also can't help, but think about my friends in the biscuits or Umphreys who are like, what the fuck? Trey never asked us. <laughs> so it's, it's hard to disassociate that part. You know, it's That's just true. funny that like, Very true. Oh, well let's skip a generation and let's have these guys come out. And then Trey's sitting with it, you know, think of the biscuits would have killed for that. Or Umphreys would have like shit in their pants to have that. So I, you know, I, I, but everyone's very happy that this is happening with goose, you know, professionally band to band but it's uh it is kind of like wow that that's never happened before um it is the first time that we've done live streams both on nugsnet and live fish at the same time that that took some figuring out of how to not 
cannibalize ourselves and market to the right people. But the argument was, you know, like we have all these goose fans who are Nutsnet subscribers and all these fish fans that are live fish subscribers. They're not necessarily, we have, you know, a good amount that subscribe to both, but the pay-per-views need to be on both sites and let's put the goose sets on Nugsnet like we do every night, put the tray sets on live fish. Kind of feel like maybe we should be putting the tray audio on Nugsnet as well, but I just, you know, I didn't want to start a whole new contract, a new licensing, you know, just, if this was the most expeditious way to do it. Um, musically, it's been, what's so exciting about it is it's something new and different. And, uh, you know, it's very easy to get jaded, particularly from where I sit, where, you know, not only do I run the company that puts out every note these bands play every night, but I actually have to listen to it because I host a show on Sirius every week, which, by the way, shout out to Nugsnet Radio Channel 716. If you guys don't know, we have our own channel now on Sirius and the weekly live stash is back every weekend. I have to go through and listen and figure out what to play. So it's like it's very easy to just be like, oh, it's another Humphrey show. It's another panic show. It's whatever. And you pick out the special things. But this is the most unique thing that's come across my virtual desk in, I mean, you know, in the 20 years that Nuxnet's been a business because we've never seen anything like this, this kind of collaboration night after night with any band. Um, so, you know, that's been exciting just to watch. The that's actual interplay between Trey and Rick has been amazing because they're so, I mean, they, I, interesting anecdote on how much time we have, but my, I played my buddy Goose for the first time. He lives in New Orleans. He had heard his friends had gone to see Goose. Like, what is this band? I played it for him. And he's like, that's not fish. And he wasn't belittling Goose or anything. He was just like the tone of Rick's guitar is so similar to Trey. It's like, I was trying to explain it to him. It would be like, you know, Kimok and Jerry playing together where Kimok's his own thing, but he does tonally sound very much like Jerry at certain times. Same with Rick. Rick is totally his own thing. Trey obviously his own thing, but they sound so similar. And then it's kind of like, you know, people who love to bash string cheese, which a lot of people always seem to love to bash string cheese. Kang has like the Trey pedal or the Jerry pedal, you know, he can, which is not true, but it's very, you know, very simplistic way to look at cheese. Oh, he either sounds like Jerry. He sounds like Trey. <laughs> you could say the same thing about Rick. Oh, he just sounds like Trey. No, he doesn't. He sounds like Rick, but yes, they sound similar. So the way that they've been working that in and weaving in and out of each other, I mean, at times it sounds like the almonds, and I don't mean the music sounds like the almonds, but the twin guitar leads when they both start screaming together. Yeah. And I like the eye contact they're making and hitting those notes and making sure they hit them together. That has been the most exciting thing for me to watch and hear is when they've decided to do that and how. And I, I feel very fortunate that I've been able to watch all of the rehearsals and sound checks every day. So I'm, you know, kind of like the eye in the sky tuning in from wherever I am at the moment, watching them go through this every day. And that's been the fun part is to see, I mean, on one hand, it spoils. I know what they're going to play later, but to see when Trey says to Rick, hey, do this, or Rick suggests something to Trey, and Peter too, for that matter. You know, it's not just a unilateral thing. It's just amazing to see where they're deciding to hit those punch points and then to see it come off in front of the crowd is that's when it really explodes. And the crowd reaction has been amazing too. And the, the live fish video for it has been so cheap because as you mentioned, the, the tones are, are so close that for the first time ever, when I listen back to when I listen to Trey Santana, I know who's playing what when. When I yeah. with this, I need the visual clue, I think. You know, because it's just Yeah, because so it is, you're absolutely right. Like that was the hardest, like when he came out of Radio City, it was a little hard to tell unless you happen to see at that moment and that camera work frankly, wasn't that great, but the looking at the, cause this is Trey Kerr doing this. I mean, with help from Goose's people directing the Goose set, the Bart Lombardi. Yeah. Th this is know. the full fish video. And just for all the fans watching at home, there's starting this summer, we had a, a truck out with fish dedicated to the live fish video created and run by Trey Kerr and his whole company gateway. It, it's a game changer. Cause now there is a dedicated semi truck you know, a trailer being pulled by a semi with all the video gear permanently racked in there. Our encoders are permanently racked in there. Gary's in the back, which is called the hot tub. That's where he's doing the mix. It's like, you know, a mobile studio going town to town. They brought that truck on this tour. So that was the game changer and why we're able to do every night. Normally with a trade tour, it wouldn't make sense to do every night because it would cost too much. 
but this these were arena shows. Trey's typically not playing arenas. Goose certainly isn't regularly playing arenas. So the two of them together in arenas, it made sense to bring out this truck. And the fact we're pay-per-viewing on both Nugs Night and Live Fish and putting the audio out, that's how it kind of pays for itself. I that's why that, we're able to do this. I saw that truck at Portland. It's very white and very shiny. It looks brand new. It, it's beautiful. It is. And it, it's awesome inside. It's fun to hang I need, out. In I, there. Need, I need a tour. And there's the little lounge in the back. This is the fucked up thing is at MSG, it's going to be down on the street. So it's not going to be fun at MSG, uh, uh, <laughs> which sucks. Right. And I usually hang out in, in, in webcast world. I'm like, where the hell am I going to hang out during the MSG run now? The truck's down the street. But it is nice. <laughs> that That's why this uh, Trey Goose thing is happening and looks so good is the full-on fish rig is out there. Nice. And all of the amazing people who work for Trey Kerr and, uh, you know, and Gateway are making this happen, along with Goose's people who are awesome as well. Cool. Well, thank you so much, Brad Serling, for all the the tray, you know, the tab, the goose insight. All of us at Osiris are incredibly excited, obviously, about that pairing as well. And it's going really well. I've been lucky enough to see it live uh, once and I'm going to go to the uh, the Reading show. So I'm going to see the bookends, Portland and Reading. But I'm very excited about it. And, and as you say, it's exciting watching uh, two really incredible guitars play together and uh, two amazing bands when they all get up together uh that's going to do it for us today again brad serling oh as always a pleasure thanks to my co-host benji eisen for co-hosting and for rjb for not co-hosting today uh <laughs> don't worry he's uh, right over there he hasn't gone anywhere um and thanks to all of you listening and for listening and to the osiris team especially eric limarenko and matt dwyer who make all this work from behind the scenes. And before you switch over to Live Fish, which our guest today would encourage you to do, let me give yeah. a quick shout out to Cash or Trade, the world's only social no network where fans buy, sell, trade tickets at face value. Check out all the tickets available at cashortrade.org. And if you're keeping up at home, the next show is the 12597 show in Cleveland. So we'll see you on Monday for that one. And until then, blaze on while you still can. Colder weather is coming. Thanks, Brad. Thanks, Benji. Thanks, guys. Good to see you. Osiris. Hey, everyone. This is Tuck from Fit for a King in Off-Road Minivan. Every week, I bring you fun interviews alongside your favorite metalcore entertainers with my new podcast, Get Tucked. Join me every Monday with bands like Counterparts, Crystal Lake, like Mods to Flames, and many more. We play unsigned and undiscovered bands, deep dive into each artist's history, and of course provide the greatest breakdowns in current metalcore. Tune in to Get Tucked every Monday, out now through Sound Talent Media. Hello everybody, I'm Bruce. And I'm Nolan, and this is the Corner of Gray Street Podcast. As longtime Dave Matthews Band fans, we set out to create a podcast to dive deep into the past, present, and future of DMB. Not only do we recap and review shows within an ongoing tour, but we revisit past shows from throughout the band's history, conduct interviews with a wide variety of guests with ties to DMB, and create unique and exclusive content like our Concerts on the Corner series. Whether you're a fan of the band or just a fan of great music, we think you'll find something you'll enjoy. We can't wait to see you on The Corner of Grace Street.